Have you ever been hurt? Has your heart ever been broken? Have you ever felt pain so real it felt like your insides were being ripped out? Sadness so deep you were sure you would drown and never see the sunlight of happiness again. In 1993, I started my final year of psychiatric residency. I was stationed at Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. In the summer of that year, my wife and I celebrated our sixth anniversary. And as the new year approached, it was to be a a year of celebration, of culmination of hard work, a year of fulfillment and achievement. But it didn't turn out that way. December 31st, 1993, New Year's Eve, my wife moved out. She told me her plans were to have friends come over while I was at work that day and to move all of her belongings out. So I went to work that day with a heavy heart. The new year was not looking bright. And just as I thought it was bad, it got worse. At 11 a.m. on New Year's Eve, my pager went off to call the hospital operator stat. I called the operator and I was put through to a nurse in a hospital in Chattanooga who told me that my father had just died. She told me that he was walking along in conversation, fell over. They started CPR. CPR was done throughout his entire transport to the hospital. They did several rounds of medications in the ER, but he never responded. My wife was moving out, and my father had died at age 57. Have you ever been hurt? Has your heart ever been broken? Have you ever felt pain surreal? It felt like your insides were being ripped out, sadness so deep. You were sure you would drown and never see the sunlight of happiness again. I can tell you that whatever your heartache, whatever your pain, whatever your discouragement, it can be healed. No matter how bad the pain, don't give up. No matter how dark the depression, don't give in. No matter how high the hellish shadows of despair, don't surrender. But remember, if we put our life in Christ's hands, we can never be placed in a position for which God has not made provision. Whatever may be our situation, we have a divine helper to lead us to peace. Whatever our problems, we have a counselor to comfort our hearts. Whatever our sorrow, bereavement, or heartache, we have a sympathizing friend. It is God's desire to heal your wounds, to mend your broken heart, to remove your pain and make you whole. Now I want to explore seven steps that we can take to cooperate with God, to experience healing of heart here and now. But first, before we do that, I want you to think. Think about a physical wound for a moment. Think about a a gash on your leg. Once the wound has occurred, we can't turn back time. We can't change history. We can't reverse the course of events. So we have three options once the wound has happened. Option one, we can address it as quickly and expeditiously as possible to bring healing, antiseptics, antibiotics, sutures. Option two, we can ignore it. Option three, we can actively infect it. Our hearts and minds are the same way. Once we've been hurt, once we've been wounded, we can't undo the injury. We can't take it back. We can't turn back the clock of history. So we have three options. We can deal with it as effectively as possible, bring healing as quickly as possible. We can ignore it. We can infect it. Jessica came to see me depressed, not sleeping, not eating, crying all the time. She was 27 and had a 13-month-old child at home. And six months earlier, she had awoken to find her husband dead in bed next to her. Jessica blamed herself. If I were awake, I would have heard him stop breathing. If I would have woken up, I could have done CPR. 
She filled her mind with images of him laying there cold and blue. She had a purse made with his picture put on it, carried that purse everywhere she went. She put pictures of him up all over the house. She thought of him constantly. She told herself, I can't go on without him. I should have died with him. She began to contemplate suicide. Jessica was hurt. She was injured. She was heartbroken. She had suffered real loss and could not undo that loss. But Jessica was infecting that loss with distortions and falsehoods that served only to worsen the pain and confuse the mind and prevent healing. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This principle works on all levels. The truth may not be pleasant, but the truth does heal. The truth does set free. I had a patient who was dying, dying of colon cancer. It was too late for treatment, too far spread to heal. Joe was dying. Joe told me that four years earlier, he started to have rectal bleeding. But rather than going to the doctor to get an evaluation, he told himself it must be hemorrhoids. He had three options, and Joe chose to ignore it. Now it was too late. The truth heals. It's the truth that sets free. John couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. He cried frequently. He felt like a loser, like a failure. His wife of seven years had just left him for another man. And John began to ruminate, to blame himself. Maybe if I had more money, maybe if I was taller, maybe if I bought her more presents, taken her on more vacations. John was hurting. John was searching. But John was not being truthful with himself. Truthful with the fact that his wife's choices were reflections of her character, not his. John was infecting his broken heart with distortions that caused more pain and prevented healing. It's the truth that heals. The truth sets free. And if you've been hurt, if you've had pain, if you've lost something or someone in life, I want to review with you seven steps that we can heal, that we can engage in to help God heal. Step one, stand your ground and do not run. Step one, stand your ground and do not run. See, when we've been injured, our reflex is to pull back, to run away, to avoid the pain. When I was six, I was at a ch- uh, private church school, and in our church school, we had a uh, swing set out in the uh, playground, and the particular swing set had chains and a wooden seat. And as uh, we first graders would come out, usually we were the slowest, so we got to the swings last, and they were already occupied by some of the older students who could run a little faster. And so we had to devise other ways to figure out how to play, and, and the older students would get on the swing sets, and they would stand up, and they would swing standing up. Anybody ever remember doing that, swinging standing up? And so we younger kids would, would figure out uh, something to be inventive, and, and we started to time and, and run underneath the swings as they were swinging. Anybody remember doing that? Yeah, I see some other people nodding their heads too, yes, okay. Unfortunately, I was in first grade and and I timed it just wrong and I got hit right in the forehead with one of those wooden swings coming down. And it knocked me pretty pretty good on my backside and, and it caused a gash in my forehead. And I remember the principal picked me up and called my mother. And my mother took me to the doctor and I remember distinctly to this day, I don't remember all that happened, but this I remember. That doctor was coming at me with a big giant needle about this big. And he was heading, and it, for all intents and purposes, it looked like it was heading straight for my eye. It was on my forehead. He wanted to numb that. And I tell you, if I could have run, I would have run. Yeah. But fortunately, I had a mother who loved me and held me down and made me stand my ground. 
And fortunately for me, I stood my ground and the doctor numbed up that wound and sewed up that wound and I really don't even have a scar to this day. But if I would have followed my reflex, I would have run. The wound would have probably gotten infected. The scar would have been much worse. Our feelings, our feelings lead us into temptation. It says in James chapter one that no one should say God tempts because God doesn't tempt anyone. Each one of us are tempted and drug away and enticed by our own evil feelings. Our feelings almost always lead us into temptation. We must use our judgment to choose to do what's right in spite how it feels. At, at age six, my judgment couldn't override my feelings. Fortunately, my mother's judgment did. There's an old saying that helped me once. It goes like this. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. In this world of sin, none of us can avoid pain. We will all experience painful events and circumstances. But painful events can almost always be healed. If you find yourself in misery, it's almost always the case that you're choosing it in some way. Why would people choose misery? Because to get out of the pain usually requires a short momentary period of greater pain. Think of about an abscess for a moment. Does anybody know what an abscess is? An infection often under the skin. If you have an abscess, the only way to cure an abscess is to lance it, to cut it open and drain the pus. Antibiotics alone will not cure an abscess. It has to be cut and drained. Well, imagine having an abscess. An abscess is sore. It's tender. But if you leave it alone and don't touch it, it usually doesn't hurt too bad. It just aches kind of a low, dull, chronic pain. But imagine what it feels like to take a scalpel and stick in that and cut it open. Well, a short period of very intense pain. People will often avoid that short period of intense pain that brings healing in order uh, to avoid that intense pain. But what happens is if you don't do that, the abscess grows, it spreads, it gets larger, infects the blood, and ultimately can cause sepsis and death. Physical therapy. Three years ago, I was skiing and dislocated my right knee. And after, after the dislocation of my knee, I had to go to physical therapy. Physical therapy does not initially feel good. If I went with the reflex on how it felt, I wouldn't have done physical therapy. Imagine somebody going to physical therapy and saying to the physical therapist, hey, that makes a lot of sense to me. I understand. And I'll be glad to do that as soon as it feels good. You see, we wouldn't get well. If we only do what feels good, we don't get well. This is true in our relational difficulties in marriages, in relationships, in families. Oftentimes there are issues, there are circumstances, there are problems that need to be dealt with. But to deal with them does not necessarily feel good. And so sometimes we avoid dealing with problems and the problems only build. Healing doesn't occur. Things fragment. Hearts harden. Grief hurts. And when we've lost someone, our reflex, because it hurts so bad, is to avoid the grief, to try and run from it. But you can never run from grief. You can't go around it. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You can only go through it. And so I give my patients a little analogy and exercises for them to do, and I give them this analogy. Imagine being down at the beach, or up here is it called the shore? Being out at the shore. And as you're out in the water, a wave is coming in, and you see that wave, and you try to run inland away from it, but the wave catches you from behind. What happens? It knocks you down. But if you see the wave coming and you stand your ground and as it comes, you lean into it, what happens? You ride up over it. 
Well, grief comes in waves. If any of you have ever grieved, you'll know there'll be these momentary pauses of peace, and then suddenly you'll smell a of perfume, you'll hear a song, you'll see a hat, and bam, here comes another wave of grief, and down you go. So I tell my patients that they need to schedule 15 to 20 minutes a day where they can be home alone, and they sit down and lean into it. Think about your loss. Think about what they meant to you. Think about that hat, that song, that perfume, and let it wash over you. If you need to cry, you cry. If you need to scream, you scream. If you need to hit something, you pound on your mattress. 15 to 20 minutes every day. And daily, slowly, you lean into it, you heal. If you run from it, if you avoid it, it will always catch you from behind, and you will be out somewhere, and you'll find yourself running out of the supermarket, running out of the church service, running home, because the grief is knocking you down. Step one, stand your ground. Step two, be truthful. Seek the truth and don't let feelings determine your conclusions or your beliefs. This means the truth about ourselves and our condition. This was one of Jessica's problems. She felt guilty about her husband's death rather than grief-stricken over his death. And the reason this often happens, and I see it frequently in people who are, are dealing with grief, is because on some unconscious level, we know that the only person we can change is ourself. And we want to undo the loss. We want to take back what's happened. We want to reverse history. We want to resurrect our loved one. And so we're trying to find something we could change to make it all go away. And the only person we know we can change is ourselves, so we can look back and try and say, well, if I would have done this, if I would have done that, if I would have done this other thing, some way trying to reverse what happened. It's a deception. It infects the wound. It prevents healing. We must accept the truth about God and not let fear and insecurity dominate our views of God. This happens throughout much of religious world, including Christianity and Adventism as well. There are perspectives put forth about God that incite fear rather than inciting trust. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18 through the next 10 verses, Paul tells us five to six times what our current problem is. He says the problem is that they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They preferred images made with their own hands to the truth about God. They didn't think it worthwhile to retain the truth about God. He tells us this five times, and if we exchange the truth about God, if we accept lies, distortions, misrepresentations about God, he tells us the mind becomes darkened, the mind becomes futile, the mind becomes foolish the mind becomes depraved. Our minds cannot be healed as long as we hold to lies about God. Jesus told us in John 17, 3 that life eternal is knowing God. We must come to know him as revealed in Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And all too often, there are pervasive distortions about God that have entered Christian thought. One of my missions and my passions is to challenge those ideas and those distortions throughout Christianity. And if we had time today, we could spend two or three hours as I would to, to tell you some of the lies currently circulating actively from Adventist pulpits about God in our church, and there are many of them. I challenge you to think through and see if you can find some. But we must come to know the truth about God, that God is just like Jesus. He said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said in John 15, 15 to his disciples that I no longer call you servants, rather I call you friends. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 34, notice this. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who's on our side? God. He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that's justifying us? God. 
Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who was raised alive, is at the right hand of God, and notice this, is also interceding for us. Did you know your Father, the Father in heaven, is your intercessor? See, what Paul's saying here, guys, God is on your side. He loves you so much. He's your friend. He's on your side. As soon as man fell into sin, he initiated the plan to save, to redeem, to restore. He's been working for your healing the whole time. But if that's not good enough for you, if you're still not secure, if you still don't have confidence, don't worry. Jesus is right next to his side. In addition to the Father, he's working on your side too. So have confidence. Be of good cheer. God is on our side. He's always been. Any idea that you hear taught where you have Jesus working on the Father to convince the Father to love you, to forgive you, to somehow impact the Father's attitude for us is a lie about God. Jesus is God in human flesh. For unto us a child is born. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Father, his thoughts made audible to us. We must be truthful about our our situation, that we are never alone. Don't let feelings of loneliness dominate your perspective and your conclusions. There is more for us than against us. Remember Elisha, when when the soldiers came to get him, he prayed and the servant's eyes were opened. In this universe, read what it says about Daniel chapter 7, that the fires come out from the throne of God and 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands stood before him. Do you know why it said 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands? The largest Hebrew number they had at the time, 10,000. It was the biggest number, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. There's, there's more than we can count that are on our side. When you remember that we stand in the context of a universe, every intelligent being in the universe is on our side, save Satan, his angels, and the, and the evil human beings on this planet. We are in the majority, not the minority. You're never alone. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We must remember the truth about the facts, the facts of our circumstance. If divorced, many of my patients who are divorced are tempted to feel because their marriage has failed like they are failures. The marriage may have failed, but that doesn't mean you personally are a failure. What will determine whether your life is a failure or not is nothing that's happened in the past. What determines whether your life is a failure or not is what happens from this point forward. I'm going to say that again. What determines whether your life is a failure or not is nothing from the past. It's what happens from this point forward. Satan wants to discourage with the past, to deceive your mind, to cloak you in darkness, to prevent you from choosing life, to prevent you from choosing Jesus Christ and living that victorious, successful life. We must be truthful. Step one, stand your ground. Step two, be truthful. Step three, enlarge your perspective. Enlarge your perspective. I had a friend of mine who grew up in the 1950s in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. He grew up on a farm, a very rural area in Upper Peninsula, Michigan in the 1950s, and there was no Life Force helicopters, no 911, none of that type of emergency services that we have today. And he told about his next door neighbor who lived, you know, several a distance away, large farms, but they were the closest neighbor. And they had a child, six, seven years of age, who was an unruly child, a disruptive child, a disobedient child, a child who didn't follow the instructions of his parents. And this child had been told repeatedly, don't play around the heavy farm equipment. One day when my friend was out working, he got the the call that the little boy had been seriously injured in the farm equipment. There was no 911 to call, so the neighbors did. The only thing they knew how to do is they called all the neighbors and asked them to come and pray 
that God would heal this child. And my friend was in that prayer, prayer circle around that injured boy, hands held, going around the circle, praying, Lord, if it be your will, heal this child. Next prayer, Lord, we know you have the power. You are the creator. You can recreate. If it be your will, heal this child. Lord, your will be done. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Until they came to the mother. And the mother said, I don't care what your will is, God. If you don't hear my child, heal my child, I will never speak to you again. I'll just tell you from this point what happened, history. The child recovered, did not die. And that child grew up to be a bane on that family, constantly in trouble at school, vandalism, uh, truancy, rebelliousness, in and out of school, expulsions, into drugs, alcohol, stealing from the family, stealing, shoplifting, in and out of jail, constantly a bane on that family. Now, whether God healed or didn't heal, the child recovered on their own, we, we don't have a word on that, but, but we can use this to enlarge perspective. Did God injure that child? No, the child was injured because the child was an unruly and rebellious child. Is it possible that if the mother would have trusted God, that God may have restrained his hand and not intervened and let that child pass to its rest and save the family years of torture and misery? Is it possible that God loved the mother so much that he didn't want to lose contact with her and he did intervene to save that child and let the mother see the perspective that she had chosen? Is that possible? We don't have all the answers to this question, but the point is we need to enlarge our perspective and allow for possibilities beyond our immediate awareness and trust God with the future that we don't know. This this requires that we reason beyond the feelings of the moment and remember our perspective and situation in God's plan. Step one, stand your ground. Step two, be truthful. Step three, enlarge your perspective. Step four, move on and say goodbye. Move on and say goodbye. When we lose something, something or someone we love, some ability, some, something precious to us, we have the, the feeling that tempts us that want to sit down in the middle of the road of life with our hearts and say, I quit. I'm not going on. We're tempted to stop living life until we get what we've lost back again. I had a 43-year-old lady who came to see me who had a child die 10 years prior to come seeing me. And for the last 10 years, basically every day of her life went something like this. She got up in the morning, she went into the child's bedroom of the child who had died, picked up the child's teddy bear and curled up on the child's bed and cried. Lights out, windows closed every day for the last 10 years. She didn't go to the ball games and the events of her other two children. She went and cried and mourned for the child who died for the last 10 years. Imagine walking in a national forest with your significant other and you're walking along and you're out in the middle of a a deep, deep national forest. There's no cell phones, there's no radios and your significant other has a heart attack and dies on the trail. It's just the two of you. You don't have the strength to pick them up and carry them 10 or 15 miles out of the forest. What do you do? You might sit down next to them for a while, hold them, cry with them. But at some point, you have to decide You either get up and you go on without them or you lay down there and die with them. Jesus said we need to let the dead bury the dead. We must go on. At some point, we have to say goodbye. Many of my patients with physical loss go through the motions of life, 
but their heart is no longer in it. They long for the days when they used to be different, when they used to be able to run, when they didn't have back pain, when their heart wasn't, wasn't uh, weak, when their lungs could breathe. They long for a different day. They don't accept life with their current circumstance. Going through the motions, but the heart is not in it. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It is understanding the truth from God's perspective, understanding the larger reality that lets us say goodbye, that lets us move on, knowing that by moving on, we will see our loved ones again. When my father died, I was tempted to sit down. I went through this very experience. I was tempted to sit down and quit. I didn't want to go on without dad. But I came to realize that if we Christians would do our job, if we would take up the mantle that Christ has given us, if we would spread the good news about Jesus Christ effectively to this world, we can hasten the day of Jesus Christ. We can hasten the day of his return and be with our loved ones again. Step one, stand your ground. Step two, be truthful. Step three, enlarge your perspective. Step four, move on and say goodbye. Step five, be hopeful. Hopeful here and hopeful for eternity. This is helped by a larger perspective, by seeing things from God's perspective. A few years ago, I attended the funeral of the mother of a friend of mine. And as I expressed my condolences, he reached out and put his hand on my shoulder and said, it's okay. I know in whom my mother has believed and I know I will see her again which stood in sharp contrast to my patients who do not believe in God. When they lose a loved one, they say, I know I'll never see my mother again. And step six, forgive and learn. Forgive others, forgive self, and learn from experience. I had a lady at church who came to see me after my class that I teach each week, and she said that her daughter had recently gotten married. Her daughter had recently gotten married And the man that married her daughter was now beating her daughter. Her daughter would come to her home and have a black eye, sometimes a bloody nose, a fat lip. And this lady who was talking to me had incredible amounts of anger and rage. You could see it. You could hear it in the voice. She was frustrated. She didn't know what to do. And I I tell you this story to show you the insidiousness of sin. You see, the lady talking to me had not been sinned against directly. She had not been hit. She had not been beaten. She had not even been spoken ugly to. It was her daughter who had been sinned against, but a seed had been planted in the heart of the lady speaking to me, a seed of bitterness, of anger, of resentment, and if she didn't root that seed out, if she let it take root over the course of time, her heart will harden, and she will become like the man who beats her daughter. This is what sin does. If you've been sinned against, the only way, the only weapon God has given us to root those seeds out of our heart is the weapon of forgiveness. Forgiving those who have done us wrong roots the evil seed out of our hearts and keeps our heart tender toward God. We must remember our condition. When somebody does us wrong, remember our condition. We are all sick. We're all in the same boat. We're all suffering from the same sickness. Just imagine for a moment an HIV ward at the hospital where everybody in the HIV ward, I don't know how many of you know about HIV, but if you have HIV infection and you get the, the syndrome AIDS, it represents or manifests in different ways. Some people get 
cytomegalovirus of the eyes and go blind. Some people get uh, pneumocystis coronae infection, pneumonia of the lungs. Some people get infections of the intestines. Some people get uh, carposis sarcoma on the skin, these big lesions on the skin. Same illness manifests in a lot of different ways. Imagine being on that AIDS ward at the hospital and those over here who are blind are making fun of those who have pneumonia. And those who have pneumonia are criticizing those who have intestinal infections. And those with intestinal infections are downing those who have the Carposis sarcoma, all of them throwing stones at each other and criticizing each other. You understand that we are all suffering of the same sickness of sin of heart and mind, but it manifests in lots of different ways in each person. But what happens is the devil has tricked us to we're all criticizing each other. We're picking on the person over here who's got a drug addiction. We're down on the person over here struggling with a sexual problem. We're, we're, we're upset with this person over here who, who has stolen some money. Uh, we are all struggling with the same sickness of heart and mind, the infection of selfishness and fear. And the only cure is to have the love of God restored into our hearts again. We all need Jesus Christ living in the heart again. And if we can come to love each other and see past the symptoms, past the symptoms to the underlying sickness of heart, then we can care about people and minister to people instead of being bitter and angry at people who are still struggling with the symptoms of the sickness of sin. What separates the mature Christian from the immature, the healthy from the unhealthy, is not that the mature and and healthy make no mistakes and the immature make them all. Oh, no. What separates the two is that the mature take ownership. They recognize their mistake. They repent from their mistake. They seek to heal and restore, and they learn from their mistakes so they don't continually repeat them over and over again. The immature blame others. It wasn't me. It was that woman you gave me. They make excuses. They take no responsibility, and they don't learn, so they keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. We must forgive and learn, learn from experience. Step seven, as we stand our ground, as we pursue the truth, as we enlarge our perspective, as we move on pressing toward the mark, as we are hopeful, and as we forgive and learn, step seven, put God first. Keep the focus on knowing God. Get to know Him, His methods, His principles, His motives. Try to understand God's problems. Did you know God had problems? What He is trying to accomplish, that He is working to heal all of us. And as His intelligent friend, join Him in His work, in His mission, in His calling. Choose to follow Him, pursuing the mind of Christ, who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but who humbled Himself to the form of a servant, humbling Himself all the way to the cross. Who, when being crucified, kept the focus not on Himself. Notice, on the cross, Christ didn't go, God, why are they doing me this way? I mean, after all I've done, I've just healed the sick, I've raised the dead, I've fed the hungry. I mean, this isn't right, Father. This is not fair how I'm being treated. And it wasn't fair how He was being treated, was it? But notice where His focus was, Father, Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Others first. Keeping the focus on other people, not self-focus. Become a giver. Engage in ministry. Be of service. Seek to give of yourself. Use your energies, your talents, your abilities, your resources. Take the focus off your injuries, off your losses, off your emptiness, off your heartache, and seek to lift up another, heal another, minister to another as God directs in your life. And in doing so, we move from victory unto victory, freed from fear, freed from the lies about God, freed from the domination of the selfish nature, free to become real friends of God who love others more than self.
Have you ever been hurt? Has your heart ever been broken? Have you ever felt pain so real it felt like your insides were being ripped out? Sadness so deep you would sure you would drown and never see the sunlight of happiness again. I can tell you that whatever your heartache, whatever your pain, whatever your discouragement, it can be healed. No matter how bad the pain, don't give up. No matter how dark the depression, don't give in. No matter how high the hellish shadows of despair, don't surrender but come to Christ. For when we put our life in Christ's hands, we can never be placed in a position for which God has not made provision. Whatever may be our situation, we have a divine helper to lead us to peace. Whatever our problems, we have a counselor to comfort our hearts. Whatever our sorrow, bereavement, or heartache, we have a sympathizing friend. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you now all of us having been broken, all of us having been injured, all of us having been hurt, in need of your grace, in need of your healing, in need of your restoration. We open our hearts to you now and ask that your spirit be poured out, pour out your love, your goodness, recreate in us Christ-like character, write your law of love on our hearts. May we experience and abide in your peace, getting the focus off ourselves and taking the love you've poured into our hearts and letting it flow through us to others that we can love others as you have loved us, we pray in your holy name. Amen.